Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The End Credits, the podcast where two brothers discuss their thoughts in a film of their choosing. I'm Dominic. I'm Jonathan. And today we are talking about Sergio Leone's epic spaghetti western, Once Upon a Time in the West. Once Upon a Time in the West was directed by Sergio Leone with a release date of December 20th, 1968. Had a runtime of 166 minutes, and it stars Claudia Cardinal, Henry Fonda, Jason Robards, and Charles Bronson. mysterious stranger with a harmonica joins forces with a notorious desperado to protect a beautiful widow from a ruthless assassin working for the railroad. Once upon a time in the West. Um, I'm really excited to talk about it because I feel like this is years in the making because I always wanted you to see it for the longest time because I I believe I saw Once Upon a Time back in high school and um, since then I've wanted you to see it so I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it because um, for me I, I like I consider it and I put it up there as one of the greatest westerns of all time and um just like with all the things that are involved and I definitely want to know, know how you feel about it. I have like, um, mixed, uh, feelings about it in some ways. Like I like certain parts, but like dislike other parts. I think, uh, maybe it's like, uh, it's, uh, I wanted to go certain directions, but like they didn't go in these certain directions. So it's like, oh man, it could also be that, uh, maybe because, of uh i heard so much good stuff about it that i overhyped it in my mind mm. uh for like expectation wise yeah. even though like uh, i probably should have you know put him a little bit lower but that's not to say like it's bad you know to an extent but like uh maybe my you know uh again expectations and stuff were like not on the correct level they should have been but uh i, I want to talk about like uh, some of the good stuff immediately like um there's no like uh, defending that they're bad or anything like that. It's like definitively everybody agrees it's good, right? Yeah. It's like the music, for example, easily right. the best part of the film. Great. Even though like it might feel like uh, it might be like four pieces, but with different variations. Yeah. I think it's clearly, you know, no contest, the best part of the film. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like uh, we talked about it, you know, previously where it's like there's like over 20 actually on the album. But it's, you know, they had these variations with the main four characters right. that they kind of like played throughout the entire film. And uh, easily, probably, I think Harmonica's theme is probably the best out of it, in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, in comparison, there was like, you could say Jill's too was yeah, really good as well. I was going to say that. But uh, I, wanna, I, I think Harmonica's is best just because of the. the uh, whole significance by the end of it technically oh, okay. yeah but uh definitely like the well what is like the 
it's like a, a toy box type of opening sound for Jill's. What would you call that? Like, a, like it's, I want to say like a stars, like very like space. I think like it's very twinkly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like Super Mario Galaxy esque like opening oh, type of thing. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like that sort of like magical intro to it. It's like a harpsichord. It's like a harpsichord kind of sound. Yeah. I think that's what they use too, um, or at least I've seen a performance where they it was a harpsichord where it's got that really nice like almost like chime yeah chime like yeah. and that's what yeah. that's what it is that's easily the best part in my opinion of her oh, yeah. theme her variation it's so good yeah 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 i was gonna say um uh yeah just to explain like yeah it's basically four main themes harmonica frank Cheyenne and Jill's I would technically count Morton's character. He has his own theme too, but he's not really the big, a part of the big four. Mm-hmm. But uh, he also has his own. Um, anyway, um, but for like those four characters, um, yeah, harmonica has like a really good theme and it, you find out more towards the end and how it, you know, builds up and what it means. Um, but yeah, I think I like Jill's the most because, um, it just so like, it's such a great track. It's so beautiful. It's so light. The harpsichord sound is so, so good. And it's like the definition of romanticizing the west Mm -hmm. i feel like when you hear it you're just like you want to be out there in the desert riding on a horse (laughs) and just like ride it off into the sunset and just like looking at the scenery and everything and it really adds to the mystique and the aura of the old west so um i had a feeling that that was going to be your favorite piece just because of that opening piece and everything like that and then there's a really nice vocal to it as well oh Um, yeah yeah but strangely enough the jill's theme there's like two but like one of the variations is actually called jill's america so yeah so like uh with that it's almost kind of like looking and seeing it it through her eyes so that's Mm -hmm. like a nice like it's a great title because that's what you should feel and see it through her perspective and that's really nice yeah, in addition to the music, uh, I do want to say like even like the costumes and locations and stuff like that mm-hmm. were like uh, perfect. You know, you felt like it was the old West again. You know, yeah. 
there are, it didn't say like at the end it was like taking place like in some places in like arizona and utah I yeah think. Mm-hmm. it's like uh you know you saw mountains and obviously the desert and everything like that and just with their, their whole costumes and get-ups like uh the three men in the beginning you know who were um at the train track to wait for harmonica all of their looks oh. were like like uh defining i feel like they're stunning in my opinion yeah. like the whole duster get up and uh just their hats and everything like that is like uh i like just those three even though they didn't show up for like a a long period of time in the whole movie right just them looking just you know just seeing them on the screen for the first time it's like oh man they look good <laughs> you know yeah i was gonna say it's definitely a, it's a look mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um like you're presented to those characters and they just feel so real, um, especially like with the costumes, how you're saying. And um, um, I, I think the dusters really add that image. Like it's such an iconic image too, because mm-hmm. you'll see it in like promotional art. You'll see like um, promotional art of like the duster jackets and like the different like people and then basically that shootout. Right. And um, it's definitely like an iconic moment and the costumes definitely make it. I think in any of Sergio Leone's films, um, it's, um, like the costumes definitely had a lot of attention, you know, to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, I was sad to see when we, like, when we go to like one of the iconic scenes with, uh, Henry Fonda and Frank, you know, he is wearing that sort of getup, but then later on, you know, he drops it and it makes sense for story wise, oh, right. but like, uh, just, I like his look at that moment in time. It makes me sad to see that he didn't keep it throughout the whole film because yeah. it's like, oh, man, I like the Duster getup. And uh, I guess everybody else in comparison, like I like they had some unique costumes in my mind. But yeah. for me, it's like the Dusters, you know, the, the standstill. Yeah, and uh, that's a good point to bring up because especially that moment when they are on the McBain farm and it's that whole, like, massacre that Frank and his men do. Um it's like what an entrance uh, like when he comes in like with his men and i think that the duster jackets definitely like help a yeah, lot yeah yeah and uh, so i see what you're saying about like oh you kind of miss that the fact that the duster jacket look was only really in that beginning part uh-huh. um but like what's interesting though and i think if you it helps a lot to know who henry fonda is and like what kind of roles he was playing at this point in time Mm -hmm. or i would say previously especially like in western films or any film he was always like the good guy and it's crazy that's like what makes this scene so crazy especially at the time because uh henry fonda was always that that good guy especially like with his really nice blue eyes and it's um henry fonda actually tells a story like in an interview that he did about uh once upon a time and he was talking about how like he like prior to going on set or prior to even accepting the job, he was a little unsure if he was going to work with uh, Sergio. Um, but then, like, he saw some films of Sergio Leone's, and he was like, uh, okay, and he knew someone who was in it. So he called them up, and he was like, uh, well, they told him that, like, oh, yeah, just do it, just do it. And prior to him going on set, uh, he knew what role he was about to play, and that was going to be the villain. And he was playing in on, like, getting... Uh, contacts to cover his blue eyes and he was going to change them to be brown uh and he got like these contact lenses and he did and he came on a set and sergio leone didn't like that the fact that he did that and oh, he was really? like no no no, like it looks all wrong it looks all wrong 
and he told him he wanted to take it off. And Henry Fonda wasn't like quite sure why, because he kind of wanted to like change up his look and he even grew a beard for the part. And I think it might be the same beard that we see later on towards the end. Oh, right. right, I think that's actually kind of the look that he went for. So they ended up using it for that look instead of like the main one. And, um, he was saying that like, he wasn't quite sure like why he wanted him to just get rid of the context to keep the blue because he thought that the blue was kind of his trademark. And, it wasn't until like he saw like the shot that he was doing. And as you see in the film, when he makes his entrance, like we don't really see, we don't see the men's face. And then it goes like, we see like the boy, the young boy, like in the background, like, you know, extremely, you know, deathly afraid because of these like men who just kill his family. Mm -hmm. And then in the foreground, we see, uh, Frank and then just like, uh, um, you know, it comes around and then we see his face and it's Henry Fonda. And then Henry was saying that like he could imagine or Sergio said that he could imagine like people seeing this and saying like, oh, Jesus Christ, it's Henry Fonda. And oh. <laughs> uh, that, that was what he was like probably um, imagining in that moment. And Henry Fonda like un- understood like what the whole significance of uh, that moment was supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And um so, like, if you don't have any prior knowledge of him and his films and the types of roles he used to play, it's probably, it doesn't matter as much. I was going to say is, like, uh, probably nowadays, I don't think it has that effect anymore. Right. Because it's like, again, if you don't see the films of his prior, just know his background. Yeah. It doesn't catch you off guard because, like, you know, today, you know, people play whatever role they want to do. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh yeah, that sort of moment might not feel as big of a presence, right? You know, without the prior knowledge, because like I want to say, like the only film of his I actually have watched before this one was Toy Anger Men. He okay. was a good guy, you know, obviously. Yeah. But yep. like, uh, I, I'm thinking in my head is like, because um, I have a prior knowledge with other characters like Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart. Maybe if uh, we saw that sort of effect to happen to them, yeah, it feel a bit, you know, bigger like that. Just right. that moment that. Uh, they were trying to capture here. Right. But like me, on, honestly, you know, watching the film, I didn't feel that sort of grand moment only because I didn't have that association with them. But I knew that, you know, obviously you've heard about this uh, effect happening when, right. you know, watching this film. Yeah. And I'm sure that it was a shock for the people who watched it then. And I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that was the whole thing that Sergio Leone was going for at that that moment in time because – Henry Fonda was always the good guy. And like you, I did see 12 Angry Men prior to watching Once Upon a Time in the West. So that was the only thing that I had on him. Hmm. So um, uh, I did have that same... I had like a a similar feeling, but it wasn't like too impactful um, or like too shocking of a moment because I only had seen one film. But I think if had I seen more and understood like that kind of like good guy, uh, you know... He's the he's the Superman really, right, right, and and the fact that he was playing such a villainous uh, role, then like how crazy it must have been, right? To experience like, that at the beginning, you know, he just shoots a kid basically, like yeah. like out of like it's nothing, and right, it's yeah, like cold, yeah. right, right. It's a complete like opposite from what he he's done. So that must have been awesome, but right. uh, yeah, what a good moment. I would say like even like eventually they even raise the stakes to like have more villainous stuff, you know, associated with them. So yeah, yeah, again, it must just must have been like very uh, shocking and stuff like that. I do want to say though, like. Uh, 
uh, do you? Because when I was watching him play the, this villain role, I get like uh, Willem Dafoe vibes from him, especially mm. when he smiles. It's like uh, he has that sort of villain esque thing in my mind. When I when I saw that, I was like, oh man, it reminds me of him in some way. In some ways, I remember when we were watching, you said something about Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, just in uh, just in uh, like tone of voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was only thinking about Jack Nicholson to be honest. I didn't think about Willem Dafoe, but I think that Willem could. You know, pull off a Henry Fonda. I think kind of role. I think it was the smile, in my opinion, when when oh. they did like a, a villainous act, and then uh, when Henry Fonda did a villainous act and smiled, it reminded me of like a, a villain from like Willem Dafoe if he played it or something oh, okay. like that. I was like, oh, uh, I got those type of vibes hmm, from interesting. it. Interesting, interesting. No, I, I didn't actually like specifically think about Willem Dafoe, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, all right. I, I saw that association with it. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I do want to, you know, go into, like, the four main characters of Harmonica, uh, Frank, Jill, and Cheyenne. And saying, like, uh, I honestly felt that uh, Jill and Cheyenne were kind of, like, overlooked in comparison to Harmonica and Frank only because, like, they had, like, this showdown and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they played big roles and, like, essential to whatever the story is, too. But, like, um, I feel as if once we figure it out, their whole thing, they're kind of left to the wayside because of they, we need to figure out what the association between Frank and um, Harmonica lead to. Yeah. So in that realm, I'm like, uh, I kind of felt like, again, they're overlooked once we figure it out that, okay, or at least for, like, Jill, you know, she has the land and uh, people want the land from her. And in Cheyenne's case, you know, he was framed, and now he's just trying to clear his name. Yeah. And then we didn't really know why Frank was doing this whole stuff until, like, later on. And then we didn't even know Harmonica's whole case until, like, the very end. The very end. So, like, uh, in my mind, you know, while watching the movie, you know, I kind of, like, shifted them. Like, okay, uh, we understood their characters until... Uh, basically harmonicas and stuff case. I don't know if it was the same way for you when watching, but like I felt as if they were like uh, overlooked at a certain point uh, in the movie. Well, I, I would probably say that um, um, I would call Cheyenne and Jill supporting characters. Not, not to say that like, Oh, they were, um, they didn't play a big role in the film. Mm-hmm. Like you, like you're saying. Um, but I do think that, yeah, the main, the main story is between Frank and Harmonica. Like mm-hmm. that, that, that's who it's really between. But, uh, and I think that Cheyenne and Jill are there to, you know, give us some downtime because, like I've always said before, like if we're always in one, um, for example, suspenseful moment, we can never be in that and we need that downtime and we need other things where I think that's where Cheyenne and Jill come in. Um, and yes, I do. I do see it in like that way where, like, we are learning little bits and pieces of their story and like why they're here, and then we get a little bit more of Frank and Harmonica. Um, but yes, I do see what you mean that it's kind of like, um, really, the main story revolves around Harmonica and Frank, and it's only a matter of time before like we actually learn. Um, their stories completely and in the meantime we have jill and cheyenne to focus on mm-hmm. so i was going to say like uh it's kind of like i i wanted them to have like another like additional moment like oh, uh, okay. like a showdown moment if that's the case like uh 
like uh, I guess for like in Cheyenne's case, I did want him to have like some sort of uh, uh, battle with Frank just for framing him in that sense. And for Jill's case, I, I guess I just wanted her to get some sort of like uh, win moment because like I felt as if when she arrived to uh, the McBain farm or Sweetwater, you know, whatever the station yep. is called. Yeah. Uh, She's had like a terrible time. I feel like you know she arrives and her family's dead. You know, yeah. and then now people just want to take her land. You know, and she's just trying to figure out why and kill her in the process. Right, and kill her in the process. And then yeah, all these like uh, she gets kidnapped and stuff like that. You yeah. know, like all these terrible things happen to her. And then I feel like she never got this like redeeming real moment. It's more like she's in the presence of this other uh, story happening, but like uh, just forced to watch it just because that's what's happening i guess you know mm-hmm. and it's kind of like sad in, in that sort of scenario well would you consider because i think i would consider the fact that um she ends up keeping the land and we know that Sweetwater is going to become a a um like prosperous like uh place for yeah like it's going to be a prosperous town in in time yeah especially with the railroad coming in so um would you consider that to be a win for her the fact that she's yeah going to be the owner of this of Sweetwater? that's true i just uh i guess i would love to see that you know and it's kind of sad that we didn't get to obviously you know we're um, not going to fast forward in time right yeah but like i guess it was just sad to see that you know throughout the film it's like uh she never you know it just seemed like she was having a rough uh, time like you know? she never really got her yeah moments. yeah 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 in my opinion hmm. i just think that i would love to see those type of moments in, in the film and it was kind of like oh man uh we didn't where we're like we got a shiny moment i feel like with uh at least harmonica right because of his whole revenge moments oh yeah but like uh yeah yeah for those other like uh supporting characters i was like oh man i kind of like cheyenne had a cool moment you know with uh on the train, you know, saving Harmonica. Oh, yeah. But, like, I, again, I kind of wanted him to have, like, a little uh, showdown with Frank, even though it made sense for him not to, you know, at least win in that scenario. Yeah, and, um, yeah, like, with that, it's almost like Cheyenne's not that kind of person. Even though he claims he is, mm-hmm. like, he mentions that he's that type of person, but you can, I, I don't know, like, you could just tell by the way he acts and his persona that he's just not that type of character to... um to duel really like he'll do it like and then we saw that like when he entered and when he met when we first met cheyenne mm-hmm. and you can kind of see like there is this sort of like ruthlessness to him but underneath it all um he's a really good guy okay you uh, know? i mean like uh yeah like by the end of it too i think you understood that i don't think it's like the very very yeah, beginning very beginning now yeah yeah. But, yeah yeah it's a, like you kind of over time you start to learn more mm-hmm. and that he's really just um, he's really not that bad of a guy that people make him out to be, and even talked about that too, and within the film, mm-hmm. and that you know, um, there's more to him than what people make him out to be. Right. I think even like uh, the honorary fifth character with Morton. Right? Oh, right. Yeah. Like we didn't really see too much of his whole backstory. It was like uh-huh. it had to be all inferred, and that and that to me was like a little bit like uh, a little bit confusing, just because like oh uh, really yeah, just because like I didn't know what he was doing there besides, you know, wanting the the whole land. And it's kind of like, I wanted to learn more with like 
why him and Frank, you know, were friends or worked together or whatnot, and like what his purpose and stuff like that was. Because we, again, it was a lot of inferred. You had to like make it up as you go. Like, okay, yeah, this is probably what happened. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, uh, you could possibly like, uh, not give it the due it's, you know, supposed to have. Because like, I think by the end, you like, you try to understand some stuff, but you never really know in my mind. So did you like it or was it, or was it something um, that you wanted a little bit more information? I wanted, a, I wanted a little bit more explanation. I wanted a little more expansion, you know, okay. like, uh, it just seemed to me like, uh, the most I could really give him was, you know, he was this, uh, uh, rich guy who, um, you know, had this disability and, you know, wanted to, uh, I guess do more, but couldn't because of it. And was always overshadowed, or overlooked just because of his disability. And so he used his money in order to get his way, but he wanted to do other stuff, but he, obviously he couldn't and he never really did. That's really all I inferred. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, I kind of did want to have like a, a more expanded, because uh, again, he was like the honorary fifth character. We didn't yeah. really see much of his whole thing. Right. And it almost like at the beginning seemed that he was going to play a bigger role than what uh like he was made out to be yeah 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 well it's kind of funny that uh like yeah we're kind of calling him this honorary like fifth character and for me actually he's one of my favorite parts of this film um and i think it's really because just like how like everything that you just said that is his character but i think the thing that really tied me into him was the fact that he had this longing to be able to see a large body of water like this this was like his goal to or like one of his goals and i guess it's the symbol to show that you know like you're saying that he wants to be able to do more and literally see more um and there was this uh there's like this simplistic beauty with the fact that he wants to be closer to to the nature and the the body of water obviously i i think it's not just a literal thing i think it is a, a figural thing too but there was something uh just that simplistic beauty of like him and the and the painting of the of the ocean. I love that. I, I I was like when I first saw that for the first time, I thought it was a really nice touch to give more than just the like the money and business side of his character, as well as the fact that he has tuberculosis. But um, understanding that there is this other thing that's like just out of his reach, and it's something that he wants. And I think that that uh, simple idea was easy to understand and in some ways, especially with his condition, to feel bad for. Yeah, I was like, I don't think I honestly like uh, understood the significance of the water while watching besides like by the time he like actually died just because of the, like the water stream maybe. But I, yeah, while watching, I don't think I, I put the two and two together that all oh, he wanted to go and see this uh, body of water the, the oceans you know like mm. uh what, what do they call that uh, uh manifest destiny where like the the two um were you know going from the atlantic to the pacific ocean what's that called when uh for uh you know uh going through america yeah bas- basically just yeah it's like that like uh, a whole idea i think uh maybe yeah like uh i don't think i i put two and two together I would say that, right. I was gonna say I think it more refers to just uh, the 
the idea that this open land can be ours. That's right. what it more refers to. I don't think it refer. It doesn't refer to to necessarily like uh, uh, water, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's more about the taking over of land. So it's not quite the same. But I, I it's like uh, I was just referencing it to like uh, the idea of uh, expanding. I guess you know. Like sure. Okay. The, yeah. Their, their reach and uh, uh, that's what I was like. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I even pieced that together while watching really really yeah yeah i think it's because like uh again maybe because i didn't really understand his place throughout the movie really hmm. interesting because i was like i think morton was like that that um like honorary slash secret fifth character that i really wanted you to like and i thought you i thought you would like i thought you would understand him a little bit more and uh so like that's a little interesting that maybe you were a little bit confused but that's okay mm-hmm. yeah i was like uh I think there's the fact that uh, he didn't have too much screen time in comparison to everybody else. Yeah. And I was just trying to figure out everybody else's character purpose, you know? Uh, probably at the same time. And, like, uh, maybe I, I overlooked uh, Morin's whole uh, ideals and stuff like that. Like, again, maybe it's like I, I just positioned him as, you know, this this rich guy who was trying to, you know, I positioned like he could possibly be the main villain and that Frank was just his henchman, possibly. Like that's my sort thought. Of, that's my of. thought at the beginning. But like, you know, later on it kinda like uh evolves and stuff like that. Yeah. And so uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe uh yeah, I wanted a little bit more expansion on mm. his character because mm-hmm. I think there was more there uh to it, you know? Yeah. Okay. Oh, um Harmonicas and uh Frank's I think their whole uh the whole showdown is very uh, nice. I think they're like uh, I I do uh, want to say though that like uh, I kind of wish personally that they didn't have so many interactions uh, before their final showdown. In my opinion, I would have liked to see them uh, at least build to that intensity. Even though like again by the end it kind of all makes sense why it was the way it was you know sure but like yeah. uh, watching it before we got the answer and it was like oh man i kind of wish like they didn't do a whole lot uh of interactions beforehand but like by the end i think it made sense and mm-hmm. it really had like a really nice uh, wrap up to it yeah but uh it was kind of weird like uh the fact that they kind of like went to like uh I want to say the backyard of the of the farm really was like oh. nobody was watching. Yeah, and it was just them two like solo, right? It's like uh, why not just do it right in the front area? You know, it's kind of like they went to their own private scheme or private area because it's just only between them. That's Which like, it was right, right. But that was like a like a kind of a weird and sort of unique touch they wanted to do. Like uh, maybe that's just the they wanted that symbolic moment of it, or like uh, possibly like. Uh, they didn't have the time to do it, you know, like uh, at that moment in time to do the thing. So they shot it some other time. Like, I don't know. Well, I think it's really be- because, um, and I guess this is just putting it simply, the fact that it's it's like you're saying, it's between the two of them. Right, right, so right. why are we going to involve anyone else? I wanted to believe it's that, you know, yeah. but like maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe it yeah, wasn't. But right. like, uh, their whole, like, uh, whole how the camera worked, you know, and uh, seeing uh, Charles's face, you know, up there. I was like, oh, that's perfect with the music and everything. Oh, yeah. Was I, was really like, cool. uh, I was like, oh, man, uh, really good shot, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another thing I forgot to mention, too, is that um, um, the music was actually written, com- uh, like, all written completely before uh, stepping foot on set. And oh. the music was actually played during 
uh, when they were shooting. So like the music was actually playing in time with the scene, so they were reacting to the music. That's gotta be cool to like act out. And yeah, it's right. Like, yeah, so they good. they heard it when yeah, they were doing yeah. the shootout. So that must have been sweet. Did you know blaring and scenes like that's awesome. So but. like they would actually like get that feeling and get and I I'm sure that it helps a lot too to be able to get you know be one with the scene mm-hmm. and um, well for I, I'm sure for like certain people, but um, I know I knew knew that from like interviews and stuff that they actually really enjoyed the fact that they had the music because it did help a lot to get in the mindset of the particular scene. Um, but yeah, um, like with Frank and Harmonica, it's, it's, I I personally did like their interactions ahead of the final showdown. And this is why it's simply because it was, I could feel Frank's frustration every time when they ha- when they had an interaction with each other mm-hmm. and it was good seeing that the fact that we didn't even the audience wasn't exactly quite sure who harmonica was and frank didn't know either and we could feel that frustration with him and that's what was like that's what was good about it it felt like this problem that wasn't going away until he faced it and you got that idea from their many interactions within um, the earlier moments of the film prior to them getting to this final showdown. And I really love that moment when Frank is is riding up to the McBain farm and um, the music that plays there leading up to that. It's called As a Judgment. That's what it's, that's what it's uh-huh. uh, called. And like when we lead up to those moments and then uh, he gets to Harmonica and he basically tells him, I love this line from the movie where he says that, you know, Morton told, like always told me that I could never be like him. And now I finally understand why it wouldn't have bothered uh, him knowing that you were out there somewhere still alive. And for Frank, it totally did. Mm. And it was, and he even went further to say that it's just uh, a, a, a man's problem to another man's problem. And now we have to face it. Um, not to glamorize the whole, like, you know, the man versus man, the machismo kind of thing. Not really in that particular thing, but obviously with the Western and its stereotypes, it leads into that. Mm. And it's this thing that um, the idea that it bothered Frank was something that I enjoyed seeing within the film. And we got that through their many interactions prior to the final showdown. It's kind of honestly like a unique uh, way to take it because usually I want to say that... Uh, it's swapped when it comes to like villain and hero where it's like the hero is the one struggling that the villain right is yeah. in you know their presence or whatever and then they overcome the villain whereas in, in this one it's flipped where it's the uh villain that wants to overcome the hero but then the hero has a really uh a good you know values and ways to do whatever it is for the uh bad guy or not it's yeah like, it's kind of like a, a flip on the script you know type it of is. moment where it, it could also be like um uh just because also henry fond is in there too so they kind of like made it that way to like um like somewhat uh seem that he's a, like a good guy in some other sp- uh, aspects but like uh, yeah yeah it's like a again this flip where it's like this usually never this way and it kind of like is uh um, you could even think that uh, Harmonica could be the bad guy, maybe in some mm-hmm. aspects too, mm-hmm. yeah. because you don't really know what he's doing there, you know? right? And like what he's up to. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about like when we saw little um, snippets of um, 
basically like the ending. And, oh, like and, the blur? Yeah, the blur, like snippets. What did you think about that? Uh, I thought it was just, at first I didn't know what was happening, you know, when uh, we saw those things. I was like, ooh, what's this, you know? Because they were just played at like different moments in time. Mm-hmm. I think it was like played, what, three times before we actually saw the, yeah. the, the, the final uh, product. But like, uh, yeah, I don't think at the beginning I was like, uh, I had no clue what it was. I thought it was like, uh, I thought I knew it was like a, a memory of some sort, but I didn't. I didn't put the pieces together. I thought it was Frank walking towards it. I thought it was oh. like uh, maybe a, uh, uh, maybe there were partners at some point, and then oh. he left them behind or oh, some okay. sort of thing, or like uh, uh, he helped him in some sort of scenario, but like uh, or not helped him, but like. I don't know something else, right? I didn't sure. expect. Yeah, I didn't yeah. expect it to be this like. Uh, yeah, like how did you feel when it was a young Frank? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. there, uh, it was cruel, really cruel. Oh, I yeah. think once we saw, you know, like uh, what was happening, I was like, man, it was like, uh, it was like, uh, like a what's it called? Old, like a goosebumps, like, chilling yeah. moment. I'm getting, like, the, I'm getting the chills yeah, right yeah, now just yeah. talking about it. It's, it's like, like oh. the ultimate revenge story. Yeah, it was like because uh, we know how we talked about like. Um, you know, um, this cruel moment with Henry Fonda killing the, the kid at the beginning. Yeah. Like, this one was, like, another, you know, impactful, circle, yeah. impactful moment where, like, uh, man, this is Henry Fonda doing this whole sort of, like, uh, and smiling about this, you know? Yeah. This whole, like, hideous act of, you know, basically uh, uh, him killing uh, Harmonica's brother by using Harmonica to do it, basically. It's like, yeah. It's just a whole, like... Uh, uh, oh man! But it's but like, like not only is the the moment and the act of it cruel, obviously, but like it brings more significance to the harmonica itself. Yeah, yeah, the actual yeah. instrument and why he plays it, and that that's what like gives it its like the full circle because now you know why he plays it and why he has it, and it's it's uh, it just brings everything full circle and you understand it all. Yeah, yeah. I and, think the, I think like the also like the biggest moment was him actually like doing the exact same thing, you know, putting it into uh, uh, Frank's mouth. Yeah, the and it's like, And then, like, obviously, you know, he didn't say anything, cause, but from his eyes, you can infer that, oh, he knew now, you know? It's yeah, like, who oh, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, oh, man, it's like, uh, yeah, it was like, uh, you can't you can't even put into words, you know, what type of moment that like, impact had on, you know, you. Yeah, I know, because every time I watch it, and I've seen Once Upon a Time in the West so many times now, ever since I saw it that very first time, and every time I see it, I still get so excited for <laughs> that big reveal of, you know, who Harmonica is and what Frank means to him. And, oh, man, every time I'm just like, every time I always see, like, the flashbacks, the snippets when it's all blurred, I just just desperately want it to become clear because oh. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, man, like, I just want to see Frank walk out. And it's so cool when... uh Especially like when when we were watching, even though like I didn't really get a you know I didn't really get a a firsthand look on like what your reaction was, but um, uh, I guess I'm just like imagining like oh man, I wonder how like someone else could feel about this moment and how hopefully it's impactful and they understand like oh man, this is the the uh, significance to them and their whole uh, rivalry. And their, you know, their issue. And when you finally get to see it, you're just like, man, uh, no wonder um, Harmonica was naming the names of people that Frank had killed. Because obviously Frank's the kind of guy who doesn't even remember. He doesn't remember yeah, those people. Yeah, yeah. And oh, it, no, he did because obviously he knew that they were dead at the very oh, least. Oh, right. But I mean, like, obviously didn't, uh, you know, 
care yeah, enough about yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and uh, doing that to Harmonica's brother and Harmonica having to be the one to, you know, obviously it's not his fault, but being the one to have to like, you know, quote unquote, pull, pull the plug is, is, uh, was just awful. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like definitely like the, the impactful scene by the end and stuff like that. It was also like, uh, you know, once we do get to the end, everybody like kind of wrapping up where like, uh, everybody's starting to like go their own ways, you know, like, uh, eventually Jill gets the place and, you know, she gets that like, uh, win right there. Yeah. And, uh, Cheyenne is kind of like going away and, uh, well, he so was actually going to go to Yuma because he got, he was traded in for right, the right, land, right. But, but it's kind of sad that we saw that he died too. Cause yeah, like, that was really I, sad. I, I, I didn't want him to die. <laughs> I didn't sense. either. He's like, Oh man. Though like, uh, also like, isn't inferred that he was the one who, uh, went to Morton's train and, uh, they had this whole like battling shots and everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at first like, uh, I didn't know if it was just, um, the turning of uh, Frank's men, because you know how uh, they're getting paid off or whatnot. Yeah. But like, uh, no, I guess yeah, yeah, they had like some sort of uh, battle duel. It's kind of weird that they didn't show anything about that, or well, yeah, they didn't actually show anything. But uh, Cheyenne did mention that it was it looks like it was Morton who shot Cheyenne because he mm-hmm. said that he got scared, that Morton got scared, and he Cheyenne didn't count on him shooting him. But I'm not even to this day. I'm not because I think when he was escaping Yuma, he ran into Morton's train. But like, why would he? Oh, okay. I think now. Okay, I think. I think uh, Cheyenne ran into Morton, and I think the reason why Morton got scared is because he thought that it was Frank and not Cheyenne. I and because possible, yeah. because um, Morton had already paid off frank's men to go and kill frank and maybe oh, at that yeah, point yeah, yeah. it made sense yeah, yeah at that point Morn probably thought that oh no frank's found out and and he's gonna kill me and which is why uh he ended up accidentally shooting cheyenne yeah okay that makes sense so yeah i was kind of sad and then frank came later yeah 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 i was kind of sad to see that whole uh interaction happen you know but you know i guess that's what a uh, western is, you know. Yeah, like uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, death is in- inevitable in like a western film, and uh, it's pretty. It's like quite rare that you actually see like a like a a group of people or even just two surviving yeah, yeah. The, towards yeah. the end. Like it's always going to be like one person or none at all. <laughs> there could only be one. Right. Exactly. That's and uh, obviously, it was harmonica. Um, yeah, it was really sad that whole moment with Cheyenne, uh, when, when he, when he passed. Um, and I remember the first time watching, I was a little confused because it's like, um, when he was leaving, um, Jill's place and like, and he was riding his horse, like I could tell that I was like, what's wrong with him? Like when he was on his horse, Uh like he was kind of like swaying back and forth and slouched over. And I was wondering myself, what's wrong? I was like, what's what's wrong with him? Is he tired or something? Yeah. And then, yeah, then once we find out, I'm like, oh, man, he got shot. I'm surprised that they kind of, like, continued after that. I thought it was, I thought they were just going to right away and that's it. Go, like, like yeah, their separate yeah. ways. I'm, I'm, I was surprised that they kind of, like, continued and then, you know, he died eventually. Like, I actually thought that it would have been possibly better if they just cut it. Right? Oh, you sure, know, yeah. Once they both left. You know, like, what makes it sad, too, is because they made such a good team, Harmonica and yeah, Cheyenne. Yeah, Like, and they were, they're both very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really sad to see that, you know, oh, man, the the, the partnership couldn't have continued. Mm-hmm. So that sucks. 
Right. Um, uh, in- interestingly, the the movie that part where he we see him die, I I guess it was cut out in the theatrical version. That oh, you, really? you actually don't see Cheyenne die. So when you're saying that, like, oh, you wish they kind of just cut, they do. In oh. one version of the film, we don't see Cheyenne die. Yeah, because the Blu-ray had the restored and theatrical version. So yeah. in that one, it's not, it's not there? I'm not exactly sure in this one, but okay. it, in one cut of the film, Cheyenne, uh, we don't see him die. And uh, there's even a whole scene that's not even in this uh, cut of the film where um, there's a moment when... it's I think it's in between that moment when we see Jill at the McBain farm... And it's night, and she has a shotgun, and then she hears harmonica in the distance. We hear the harmonica. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we see, like, the flame go up, and she shoots in, in the dead air. Yeah. And then it, like, cuts to morning. That was weird. There's actually a scene in between, because if we when we see harmonica the next time, you you probably didn't even catch this. He has a cut on his, on yeah, his yeah, yeah, cheek. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. And that's from... I, I thought think, he just got scraped by the gunshot or something. No, no, no. He actually gets... He actually gets... Uh, like uh, jumped by some people in the middle of the night, and I think it's in between there. Oh, it's huh. in between there, and they cut it. Yeah, because like when we were watching, I was like, uh, that was just a weird cut because like it just immediately jumped from morning to night, and I didn't see the passage of time really. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. The scene was completely cut there. Okay. It was in be- it was in that in between, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, because that because that follow up when we see him again. In the barn, he has that cut already, so mm-hmm. it must have happened there. And I was like, "Oh, I've never even seen that scene before." But that's all; these things were only cut, and more was cut because the film was originally five hours long. Really? Yeah, Jeez. the film was originally five hours, oh, so they they had to cut it, you know, quite a bit because this film hits close to three hours. It's two hours and fifty five minutes, and uh, so the fact that we, there's a whole and like another two hours out there, it's like, um, like oh man, like how much do they have? But I do know that those those uh, scenes were originally there, but also cut in some versions of it. I say I, I there are like places where I do feel like the film like kind of like cut and jumps like how did this happen sort of scenario? It's kind of like maybe just okay, just go along with it. It's like, yeah, first that that scene where it just jumps from, like, night to morning immediately just kind of weird. It's very jarring. That and, like, uh, do you remember when um, Frank, I don't know where he was, but he went over to some place, and then Morin meets him up over there. Oh, yeah, where he, yeah. Where he, like, kicks him down, you know, that whole scene. Yeah. How did Morin get over there? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I, I always never quite understood that whole and, bit. And, like, where is Frank? <laughs> it's like, yeah, because I, I think... Um, I'm not sure. It's some kind of secret hideout. Okay. It, ha- it has to be. Yeah, I, I just assume it's like, oh, this is some other area that they go to. But like, it's never, it's never really explained. Yeah, okay. I think uh, every time I see it, I just think to myself, it's some secret hideout of Frank's, and I just leave it at that. But I, I always do think that this is a little weird. Like, when did Morton get off the train? How did he even get? here well i assumed like uh at the very least harmonica and um cheyenne just let him go because you know they didn't seem as a threat but like the right. fact that like how did he get over there it's like yeah it's a little little strange it, yeah. it must have been somewhat close to the train right it uh, had to have been i don't know i don't think riding on horseback for morton is that great i uh, can't even do it <laughs> i'm not sure probably not yeah. so like that's a good point like how does he even get there I, I yeah, like that's even a confusing thing that um it's not quite explained. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, but uh, I think overall, like, uh, uh, I think there was enjoyable stuff throughout the film. And, uh, like, there was, like, again, like, there's certain moments and stuff like that. But, like, I think uh, maybe I was just a little bit confused throughout the film on, like, uh, why certain pieces were this way. And uh, maybe there wasn't a whole lot. I wanted a little bit more in-depth in certain areas. And uh, it could also just be, like, I do have some sort of, like, little bias with Westerns, you know, and just maybe not understanding their pacing, just, like, the whole idea of the West. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I guess it just led me to, like, uh, uh, I like certain moments when they happen, but, like, other things, like, uh, you know, why was this this way and uh, could we have done it a little bit differently in this other way? But, like, uh, sure, yeah. overall, like, you know, music, uh, costumes, uh, again, certain aspects. Like, it, it was an enjoyable like, experience, right? Yeah. Right? But, like, again, I do want to say, like, uh, at some points, like, I was, like, mm, you know, like... Uh, there was like a up and down scenario where there was there was good highs and there was also like a little bit for me like uh, some lows, you know. Yeah, I I think um, I've mentioned this before that I feel like to a certain extent, when watching a f- this film, it helps to have seen some at least at least one other western, okay? Because for like what I for for me every other western that I have ever seen. I'm just not as happy with it when I when every time when I compare it to Once Upon a Time, every Western that I have seen after this one, it just never quite measures up to it. And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing because obviously all these other Westerns can be different. But I do want to say that I think if you I think it helps to watch at least one other one. You don't have to. This can be your very first Western film. But I think. If you have all these other bits and pieces of understanding, like, yes, the stereotypes, but also just different stories and different elements, you start to realize how much of, like, a love child Once Upon a Time in the West is. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's like a... It's like this mixture of different Western films all packaged into one and doing different things because like like one for example is that we don't see typically we don't see a a a leading lady in the in the leading role like we typically don't see that as often in a western film even like how you mentioned with our villain kind of being the one who's struggling against the hero is something that you don't normally see either and i think that in just a spaghetti westerns i think um it's a little bit more glamorous, especially like with the music. It adds to this idea, this glamorous idea of the West and um, what they're like making it out to be. Whereas I feel like in a in a typical Western film, it's a little bit more like gritty and a lot more like you you can feel the like more like the more machismo kind of uh, ideology there, and it feels a little bit more dated. And I feel like Once Upon a Time in the West isn't isn't that as much. I think it takes these little things from other films, not particularly, just more like maybe stereotypical things, and even criticizes them too. Although it's painting a glamorous picture of the West, it also criticizes things of the West as well. And I liked seeing that within Once Upon a Time. 
because it's not always about ah uh, the 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 man is gonna reign supreme and he's gonna be the one to like have the 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 woman and ride off into the sunset and I think some of those like earlier Western films did things like that or it's like the damsel in distress and I think that once upon a time in the West is not that kind of film um um but. With that being said, I still think that it's worth seeing those other things because if you know like these um, bits and pieces from Western films, you start to compare it to then you're like, I kind of do like this bit, but I don't like this other bit. And then I feel like Once Upon a Time in the West brings it to a better place, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think the, the music's just great. Like the music just really adds to that idea and the effect um it just does something else it like it takes it from the ground and then brings you up like a whole like 10 feet probably higher like the the music i'm just amazed that the music was completely written prior to the film even being shot never happens usually right it's always the reverse usually typically so the fact that it was written prior to the film is crazy and it's awesome to see how they were actually able to like sync up images or, you know, add to character development and give them this um, unique theme. And we could actually like have this sense of character within that. So uh, I think there's like a, like it's a great job there. And um, yeah, every time I think about it, I'm just like, that's. It, it, it just feels almost unreal the fact that something like that was actually able to happen, um, especially for how long this movie is and <laughs> yeah. and where things were supposed to go. And uh, it's like, wow. Um, oh, and uh, not, not that I'm remembering, there's this one, there's this one moment, like I was like kind of going back to what I was saying about like uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is a mixture of all these other things. And uh, obviously other future films have been inspired by it too. Um, please tell me that you noticed the moment when, um, when, um, Jill came off of the train when she was introduced and she was going oh, through yeah. like the ticket office or like train station. Yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah, obviously I was like every, when I, I remember when I watched once upon a time in the West for the first time, I was like, there's this moment where the camera comes over, uh, the, that like train station, yeah, yeah, and it, it like reveals the town, and that reveal is the same the same like camera movement that they used in Back to the Future Part Three, <laughs> yeah. the it's Western old, one, the Old Hill Valley or whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it, and um, I obviously like as a kid, I I had seen all the Back to the Future movies already prior to this film. Mm-hmm. So when I saw it in Once Upon a Time in the West, I was like, oh, so this is where Back to the Future Part Three took it from, and I had no idea. And there's and. Um, it, it just crazy that like in the influence that this film has on other films, not just Western ones, but um, like in other things as well. But I just think that, um, yeah, like once you see this, it's hard to find anything that like tops it, like within in areas of like costume and music and the acting and the story. Um, I just like these different characters that we have the one like the the harmonica the guy who just we don't know much about and then we have frank henry fonda 
who is this guy who's supposed to be the good one, but he's the villain in this role and shocking. Uh, we have Cheyenne, who's like this nice like sidekick character. Then we have Jill, who's the one who wants to be stronger and is stronger, and it doesn't really like take crap from people, and it's awesome. Um, and we have Morton's character with the, the the attachment with to do more and have the sea and the business and the the railroad even all these things. Uh, it's like everything you would want out of a western. It's in this movie, in my opinion, and it's hard to find it anywhere else. And um, yeah, I definitely recommend this movie to anyone and everyone. They should see it. It's. Uh, in my opinion, probably Sergio Leone's best uh, Western. He has the Clint Eastwood films, which is like, you know, it, it is up here. It's on another level for people. But, uh, man, Once Upon a Time, it just, it's just different. Like, it's just different. And um, it's going to go down and has gone down as the greatest Western of all time. So there we have it. Sergio Leone's epic spaghetti western, Once Upon a Time in the West. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode of The End Credits. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The End Credits Podcast, and over on Twitter at The End Credits. If you're watching the video version, make sure to subscribe to The End Credits YouTube channel. That's it. Thank you, and goodbye.